move into the book of Acts. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 today. And I think what's interesting about the book of Acts is, any of you that I'm not a huge literature guy, but I've done my share of reading, and those of you that know literature, particularly a, a story, what you know and what we see, is it a good story? You know, it kind of builds up, and then, then there's this kind of big climactic event, and, and then for a good story, there's often a little bit of, uh, of relief where there's a kind of a chance for the reader to kind of take a breath and um, process what just happened as it builds perhaps to another climactic moment. That's not the book of Acts. It's like, whoop, and we're there, and we stay there. And God is doing one thing after another, and Dr. Luke, the author of this uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit has recorded this for us, and we are in the midst of much happening. But that's what God does. That's what He desires to do in our lives, and it's not that it's chaotic. It's not that it's just, woo, shock and awe and all this stuff. No, those are elements of it, but it's more about what God desires to do in changing us and leading us to be His people. Last week, in fact, the last couple of weeks, but last week, uh, Tony Webb uh, did a great job in sharing with us from this passage of Scripture from Acts 2, 42 through 47. Uh, you hear a lot of churches, a lot of Christians say, hey, I just want our church to be an Acts 2 uh, church. Acts 2, in the great description there, is general. Good things happening. The church was gathering, they were breaking bread together, and, and they were studying God's Word together. And it looks like almost this idyllic kind of picture-perfect fairy tale. We know it's not. We know it's a part of recorded history. What Luke does for us is he, in the next chapter, as he writes, and again for him, he didn't have chapters, but he takes us into a specific story. And so if, if you, we've caught this big picture of what was happening in the early church, and now it's like the camera lens has focused, and it comes in and pays a special detail to a particular man who was a beggar, who was also crippled from birth. And in this story, what we see is a specific explanation and description of what we read about in Acts 2.42. I don't know about you, but sometimes when people come to you and they're like, oh, this is happening in my life, this is, this is going, this is going on, you're like, okay, that's great, but can you tell me a little detail? Well, it's just all going on. It's just, and, and so specifics help us. Luke knows that. The Holy Spirit knows that. So we're going to jump into this story today. Here's what I want to encourage you to pay attention to. Pay attention to the details here. We're going to talk a bit about the context in the moment, which is always important in reading Scripture, but I want you to think carefully about the setting that has taken place here and what God does in the midst of that. So if you would, this is going to be on the screen. We've got a pretty big passage to tackle today. I'm going to break it up a little bit. We're going to start with the first five verses. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention 
expecting to get something from there, from them. So this first part of this story lays out this context, but Luke does a really good thing for us in helping us knowing what was going on. Here's what I want us to catch in this part of this history. The first thing people, uh, that Luke does is he talks about the people in this culture. And we have a couple examples of that at this time. Sometimes I think it's easy to think of the early church times that they are so far different in so many different circumstances that we could never relate to them. That's not true. We have a man who was known as a beggar. He was referred to as a crippled beggar. And this man was not a believer in Jesus Christ. And for him, his life was made up of sitting outside of the temple day in and day out. From birth, he could not walk on his own. Often friends would gather him, take him, deposit him at the steps of the temple and leave him there for the day. And he is representative, I believe, so much of the fact that we have a culture today much like the, the culture of today's of the past where there are people who have great needs. And whether you consider, consider yourself a crippled a beggar or not, we all have needs. We all have needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, needs that we don't even know we have, is that God recognizes all of those. And this character in this story represents that. But then we also have Peter and John. I envision Peter and John at this point as they're walking to the temple. I don't imagine this like, oh, we got to go here. No, think about what these guys just experienced they just had that, sh- that experience of, whoop, they are up here in terms of spiritually experiencing what God has been doing in a mighty way by indwelling the Holy Spirit upon them. You don't walk around like this after an event like that happens. They walk into this scene, which was somewhat of a normal scene for them. The temple was a common place, but they are Christians, early Christians. And then you have the crowd, both made up of Jewish people and you have early Christians. Here's what I want us to catch. People in this culture are made up of individuals much like the culture today. Yeah, there are different uniquenesses about our culture, but there are people in great need in our culture today. There are people that perhaps have experienced great spiritual renewal or revival, knowing Jesus personally. And then we have people that are just going about their everyday experience. It reminds me that a culture is made up of different people, different circumstances, and different beliefs. It doesn't mean that God can't work through that. And it's an important part of this story. But we also see the place. Um, Regina, if you can put up the picture of the temple for me. I wanted to show this to you this morning. Some of you I know have seen this before, but there were different temples uh, over the period of church history. This at the time was Herod's temple in Jerusalem at this time. And it becomes a very key part of what God is communicating through his word in this, this particular excerpt. You will notice that there is this kind of outside kind of portico area. And you'll notice is that far to the right on this screen, you'll see the words, the gate beautiful. 
There are some discrepancies about whether that's, uh, that was actually the name of it. Here's the bottom line. The important part is that it was the gate that entered into a semi-public part of the temple. Think about your house. When someone's standing out on the street in front of your house, it is a public space, okay? Hopefully they don't stay there too long and they're going to get run over, but they're in a public space. When they come into your yard or even your porch, it becomes a semi-public space, It's not completely private. People can see uh, those who are passing by, but it is a um, uh, semi-public type space. Then as you walk into the house, you enter into more private spaces. Temple's no difference. So all the way on the right, you have this um, very public space outside the temple. Then you have the the gate beautiful, and even on in, you have a semi-public, semi-private space. Now you keep moving, all the way to the largest structure on the left. In the very inner parts of that building was the Holy of Holies. Only a few went there. The priest. Because that's where God was. They believed in the Jewish religion that that's where God, and remember that was brought as they left Egypt, as they traveled across the desert. There was the temporary temple, uh, the tent and the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. They, they built this then as a more um, permanent temple. But not everybody just strolled their way in and got to the Holy of Holies. In fact, very few people did. It's significant to understand that because where was the beggar? He's all the way out here at the entrance to the gate, beautiful. So key in the story. You know why he was out there? He wasn't allowed in. He wasn't allowed in because in that culture, if you had any sort of so-called deformity or crippling or illness, you were not worthy to enter in under the old religion. Sounds pretty crazy, right? Much of that was created not by the loving God, compassionate God. It was created by man. It was a way to kind of get people out of the way that they didn't want to deal with. And so in this very um, uh, important place in the community, the beggar sat outside. He was unworthy. But this place was a place of worship. This place was a place where many people gathered daily, multiple times. What I want us to catch about the place, not to just the people, is that we gather in different places. We gather there perhaps sometimes for different reasons, but we gather there bringing in different circumstances. You have Peter and John, they're strolling in, they're coming to the place. Yeah, we get to worship God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And you have the beggar who says, yeah, I'm here because I need money. I need to just get through life. He's out just saying, alms, alms. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. No different than our culture. Some came in joy. Some were very burdened. But the last part of this intro that is crucial for us is the practices in the early culture. Think about your practices on a normal basis. I know some of you that are business owners, you have your set of practices as you walk through a typical day. Um, Stay-at-home moms, you have your practices, your routine that you go through each day. For the Jewish people, the religion at that time, still observed in ways today, is that there were three prescribed times of prayer. Nine in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon, and at sunset. 
And those times were ways for the Jewish people to worship God. And so they would gather in this place to pray, sometimes read the Torah, uh, see sacrifices given. And also, a common practice was they were to show kindness, almsgiving, so to speak. An alm was simply um, providing a relief of typically money in some way to someone who they considered poor and desperate, to some degree even beyond God's help. So often they would walk into the public temple, they'd pitch a coin at whoever was laying there and keep moving, patting themselves on the back, I am pious, I am uh, very generous, and God loves me. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, many of them did that with sincerity, but some did it just because it looked good, no different than today. And so this man would sit there from morning till night, alms! alms, alms, as people were walking by. They knew this man. He wasn't new to this area. He had lived here. They knew this man, and if you ever came, even walked by the temple, you saw him out on the front. That's crucial. You also had Christians at this time, early church Christians. Like Peter and John, they were still working through how to incorporate this Jewish religion with this new thing called Christianity. And so there were still some practices they were observing. And so they would gather as Christians in homes, but they would also gather at times, not in a big organized way, but they would meet each other at times at the temple, go and pray together. It doesn't mean they were, they were disbanding from Christianity. It was another way to worship and praise God. But they also knew that there were many people who went there that didn't know or didn't believe about Jesus. And so it became a common meeting place. Normal day. A normal day where they got up and I imagine the guy thought, okay, I'm going to sit out here. Some have suspected he was about 40 years old. I'm going to go in and I'm going to sit like I've sat for years. I'm going to get a little money. My friends are going to pick me up and I'm going to go home. Peter and John, a little bit different approach. We get to go worship God. But still was somewhat a normal part of their day. So for all intents and purposes, it was a normal day in Jerusalem. Ever have normal days? Get up, shower, eat breakfast, go to work, go to school, come home, do homework, do chores at home, think about what you got to do the next day, spend a little time, hopefully with family and friends, hit the sack, get back up, do it again. Normal day. What I don't want us to underestimate in the midst of this is that God is the God of normal days. In other words, what we're going to continue to read about is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. But catch where it happened. It happened in the midst of a relatively normal day. Do you ever as a Christian, and I will be the first to confess this because I actually do this more than I'd like to admit, I don't have anything really big going on today. It's just kind of a normal day. I'm going to come into the office. I'm going to do some work, do some sermon prep, have a couple meetings, and go about my day. Now, I would never say that I don't include God in my day. But there are times often when I 
inadvertently or even sometimes unintentionally, but yet it still happens, I don't expect God to show up. It's not a big thing. I mean, we like in our culture, shock and awe. I don't have a big event, so I'm not sure if God's going to show up. I don't have a big meeting with somebody today, you might say, so I'm not sure whether God's going to show up. I know you would never say that, but is that what we believe sometimes? That in the normal, God doesn't want His Holy Spirit to show up. Well, that's about to change. (laughs) Because what they thought was going to be a normal visit to the temple, what the beggar thought was going to be a normal day of collecting some alms, was about to be disrupted greatly in the midst of the normal. Let's take a look. Verse 6. One of the greatest lines in the book of Acts. So good that I'm not just going to read it. We're going to read it together. So... um, I'm not going to have to stop, stop and start over again because you're going to read it with such energy and such enthusiasm that we're just going to be able to rock it out with me. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Oh, wow. Let's unpack this. There is so much in this. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go on, verse 7 through 10. Then we'll come back. Taking him by the right hand. That's Peter taking the crippled beggar. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts. Walking, catch that? Where'd he go? He wasn't allowed there before. Woo, that's good. He walked into the temple courts. Walking, jumping, praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Some that very morning walked by the guy. Oh, there he is again. There's coin. He's now walking and jumping and praising God. There's a few observations from this story that I think are so important. And I want us to think about, again, the context of a normal daily activity. What we see Peter and John exhibit here is we see them approaching their everyday normal activities in a way that welcomes the Spirit of God. They welcomed the presence of the Holy Spirit. They had just had one of those experiences, the experience at Pentecost. They knew the Holy Spirit, promised to all believers, had come upon their life. And they couldn't wait to see how God was going to use His Spirit in their life every day. And so what they demonstrate to us is an eagerness and an anticipation. Now you may say, okay Dan, you're kind of reading into this a little bit. I don't believe I am. We don't have the details about how they approach the temple physically. But when you encounter the Holy Spirit and you welcome His presence into your life, you have a different perspective. You have a different perspective on the most normal of situations. And so I believe they walked up by this man with an anticipation and an eagerness to live out the mission that was laid upon their lives. I don't know that they knew what that was going to look like. I don't know that they knew how that specifically was going to play it out. 
But here's what I can tell you. When we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit into our life, we recognize the opportunities that God gives us. We need that. Because just like I, just like you walk through our days often and don't see God in the normal, or don't think God's going to show up because it may just be us and one other person and not a crowd. You know, we Christians get caught in that, don't we? Hey, it was a big crowd. God showed up. You know what? God will show up if two people are gathered in his name. I want us to be challenged at some of the things we believe that take away the awe and take away the amazement and take away the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I believe the Holy Spirit brought awareness because Peter Peter and John were ready. They didn't know what all that meant. They didn't know what the Spirit-filled responses would look like. But they were ready. Recognize this, church. Our, Our lives as Christians are built with the capacity to radically improve our perspective and confidence. Think about those normal situations that you walk in. Think about If you welcomed, and maybe just as you encounter that situation, you sit down in a meeting at work, and before everybody else is into the meeting, and you say, Holy Spirit, I welcome your presence into this place. Sounds silly, may sound a little goofy. It's not. Because often, what do we do when we walk into a meeting? Okay, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. We walk into our day, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. And what this story reminds us from history is that God desires to work in our midst, whether it's normal, whether it's not. Because the reality is we're all a little bit abnormal, right? Amen was awful loud, Joy. Was that like directed to me? Okay. (laughs) Amen, preacher. You're really abnormal. Okay. I know it. Embrace it, right? But don't miss this. Because welcoming the Holy Spirit is so crucial. And sometimes it's a whispered prayer. Sometimes it's setting our mind and our heart in such a way where we say, don't just welcome how I want to lead my day. Let's welcome how God wants to through His Spirit lead the day. But let's take a look at this next phrase. Uh, Regina, if you can go back to uh, silver or gold, verse 6. Silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. When we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are ready as God gives opportunity to us to um, exercise faith. There's an old scene from Indiana Jones movie. Some of you have seen it. It's one of the few movies in my life I've seen. There's this scene as the Holy Grail is over there. And there is this scene where he has, Indiana Jones has to step out. Some of you know what I'm talking about? Remember that scene? Okay. Uh, it's an old film, I know, but he steps out, and um, to get to the Holy Grail, if I, ca- if I fall, catch me, Mark, okay? Um, <laughs> you want me to demonstrate it? Yeah, way to put me to the test. So he, he steps out, and the only way that he's going to see that he has something to stand on is by exercising faith to put his foot on the platform. And what he does, as soon as he steps on it, it shows up. Yeah, some nice little movie tricks. But it's a lot like our faith. It's a lot like our faith is that we are called to exercise faith in the Holy Spirit. I don't know that there's many of you in here that would say, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You do. You know that's in the Word of God. We talk about the Holy Spirit. 
But it's like having a really sweet car, guys. A sweet car. And you leave it in your driveway. You talk about the car all the time. How great the car is. How wonderful it is. But you never take it out. Now, I know that's a crude illustration of the Holy Spirit, but the reality is, is that we are called to exercise faith in the Holy Spirit, not just to walk around talking that we have Him, that He's in us. No, we exercise faith, which is exactly what Peter and John did when they said this. This is a radical, radical, radical statement for a couple reasons. But I want to say, they trusted I don't believe they knew what God was going to do through His Holy Spirit. But they took the step. It's faith. It's the challenge of our faith every day. When we encounter a situation and we have all but given up on people, on places, on circumstances, and we've just, in our minds, kind of set them aside for God, for something else that God's not going to work And what the Holy Spirit wants us to do is exercise our faith in Him. Because you know what? You likely can't change that. The Holy Spirit can. Because the Holy Spirit has no limitations. He's part of the Trinity. He's God. No one thought the beggar was going to be healed. They had seen him there for years. What's going to make this this day any different? Holy Spirit's what's going to make this different. Holy Spirit, which the faith exercised in him, gave Peter and John the confidence and assurance to say, let me tell you what I don't have. You're asking for money. I don't have it. But I'm going to give you what I have. So many times we excuse ourselves, not just from a ministry opportunity, but from Um, exercising faith in the Holy Spirit because we think we're inadequate. Yes, you are, but the Spirit of God in you is not. The Spirit of God in you is not inadequate, and we must trust. If we took a poll, and I'm not going to do this because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I would imagine that maybe as close as 60 to 70% of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we're scared. Well, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but boy, just some of what He does make me, makes me uncomfortable. You're fearful of the wrong one. So often we are fearful about what's God gonna, what's people, what are people going to think of us if we would say something as radical as this. Granted, it may look a little bit different, except in the name of Jesus, should never change. Paul in Thessalonians chapter 5. He just gets done and he's sharing about um, how to live for God. And he gives kind of this summary and he says, Rejoice in things, pray continually. And then in verse 19, he says this very direct statement. He says, Do not squelch the Spirit. Think of a fire. You want to put a fire out, you know how to put it out. Depending on what kind of fire it is, if it's an oil fire, you don't throw water on it. Done that before, it doesn't work. (laughs) You put a blanket over it. You have a regular fire, you put water on it. You douse it with other some sort of chemical that, that diffuses it. It's very much in our lives that often, because of our fear about what the Holy Spirit may do, what often happens is that we 
quench the Spirit. We want life in so many ways to have half hour and two hours sitcom and movie segments that we can be a part of, maybe a little bit of uneasiness, and then it's all resolved. That's not life. And the Holy Spirit, if we were honest with us, often scares the bejeebers out of us. But we must exercise faith. That's what Peter and John teach us here. And they teach about the source of that faith. Anybody want to take a guess? The source of their faith? Jesus Christ. They invoke the name of Jesus. Let me tell you, that's no little move here. That's not a subtle intention. That is very, very specific. Because the name of Jesus invoked in these pious Jewish people much. They thought they were done with Jesus. Jesus had come. Jesus had created a ruckus in their minds. But we took care of him. We killed him. And he's done. Yeah, a few people talk about him coming back, but we believe he's done. And so in the midst, in a very public place, Jesus is mentioned. And not only is he mentioned, his name is used as the source of this healing. You can imagine how things erupted. But what Peter and John did is they exercised the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Look in, uh, well, actually, we don't have it on the screen. We do have one passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When we exercise our faith in the Holy Spirit, we see the gifts demonstrated in our lives. This is just a small excerpt. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Peter and John exercised through the Holy Spirit that day the gift of healing, not to mention some others. We get so drawn away by, oh, are they speaking in tongues? They didn't there, at least it wasn't recorded, but it doesn't mean the gifts of the Holy Spirit weren't in action. You see, we release those in our life when we exercise our faith in who the Spirit is. We become vessels. And again, those can do some very unpredicted things, which is why we're often uncomfortable with them. But our lives as Christians are built with the capacity to serve with great power. And as long as we squelch the Spirit of God, we will not see the power and authority of Jesus, even if we believe in it. We won't see it until we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit and we exercise faith in Him. Probably about 10 years ago, Susan, well, more than that, time flies. It's probably been 20 years ago now. We lived in Oxford, um, and uh, I was called to jury duty, jury duty, and it was in Butler. It was in Butler, uh, Hamilton, Butler County Courthouse. And so um, I went. I was actually kind of excited about it, fulfilling my civil duty. I'd never really had a jury duty before. So, so I went, and it was some case. Some guy robbed a, a burglarized house or something like that. So I got there. I was called. I got there, and it was part of a jury. And um, they said to me early, on, early in the week, they said, okay, so you are um, you're going to be an alternate. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm not really sure what that means, but you're going to be, be a part of this. And I'm like, great. 
uh, and so if somebody bows out, then you can, you will step in, but you'll have heard everything. I'm like, great. So I was really excited about it. So we're hearing all the testimony and everything throughout the week. We get to Friday, and it's deliberation time. I was so excited. I was excited to hear about other, what the other jurors said. I was ready to add my opinion. And they say to me, as we're getting ready to go into the jury deliberation room, oh, okay, you're dismissed. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, remember we told you, I didn't remember. Remember we told you that um, if no one, uh, if everybody fulfilled their duty, they will deliberate. You were just an extra guy. Oh, I was ticked. And I knew it. I was smart enough to know it, but the point is, is that I sat there all week and I listened to this, and I didn't get to be a part of the verdict. Well, if you call this number tonight, we'll share with you the verdict, but I don't get to be a part of it. One other thing that happens in this scripture that is so beautiful and we can't underestimate that God wants to do in our lives, and that is as we welcome his presence, as we exercise the faith in the Holy Spirit, is that he does not only demonstrate the gifts of the Spirit through us, he allows us to witness his mighty work. Think about this. Peter and John, right there, firsthand, they get to see not just a man who gets up and is like, oh, I can walk a little bit, or I can stand. In fact, the word Luke uses here has to do with the sickness of where the ankles are so broken down and um, just, deep, just um, falling apart, is that the idea of even just standing on his ankles was, was um, physically um, impossible. But he not only got up and stood, he walked, and then what was he doing? He's skipping around like a little schoolgirl, because he is so excited about what God has done in his life. Peter and John firsthand witnessed it. Some of you have witnessed God's miracles, and not just mir miracles of healing, but you've witnessed the other miracle that Peter and John witnessed, and that was spiritual. You ever been with somebody when they turned their life to Jesus? That's what we live for, church. Not to mark another one off on our belt and talk to everybody about what we did. No. But we get to witness the work of the Holy Spirit restoring a life. That's why this book we're referring to is Acts of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual healing. An old religion that said you're out and you can't get in. God says, no, we're going to change that. Anybody in belief and faith in Jesus Christ, you are in. And so when we witness that, God pours out the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Look at Galatians 5. Many of you know this passage, but we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. These are the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit were evidence in Peter and John that day as they welcomed the presence of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness and self-control. What's the last phrase there? Read it with me. Against such things there is no law. Think about this. No man in his law and his tradition and his religion can stand against the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. No excuses except where we decide to quench the Spirit. Church, I'm not sure what that looks like in your life. But I know for me this week as I'm preparing, as I was preparing this message, one thing 
that I've been dealing with my life, and it has to do with something um, with uh, some extended family members that um, I essentially have just kind of said it's going to be what it is. And I've realized that I shouldn't say that. Because when I say it's just going to be what it is, what I'm saying is that God can't really work in this situation. I know that's what I don't mean. But unfortunately, it's a picture into my heart and lack of faith. Never fun to admit that. And so what I begin to commit to God this morning is that I want to welcome him. And I want to see the gifts of his spirit work through me, not because I can do anything, but because the Holy Spirit can. And I want to see the fruit of the spirit in my life in that situation. Because as Christians, we are built with the capacity to witness God do miraculous things. So many times we think that's only for the super spiritual. No, God wants you to witness that. Because when you witness that, when you see that, you testify to the power and authority of God. I'm going to go back to the picture one more time as we finish up. Remember where the beggar was? And now where he was? Essentially, this is a living illustration from Peter and John of a mobile temple. Peter and John, as Jesus said, prophesied and commanded, Go, go with my spirit in you. My presence will be with you, he says in Matthew. And then that happens in, at Pentecost is they are outside of the temple and the power of God is demonstrated by bringing this man healing. They have illustrated a mobile temple. And my friends, I cannot encourage us enough to not believe that there was something extra beyond the Holy Spirit that made Peter and John worthy of this because they were not. Remember all of the struggles? Chapter after chapter in the Gospels where they're bickering, they're fighting, they're saying things they shouldn't, they jump in when they shouldn't. And look at them now. That is the Spirit of God. That's what God does in every soul. And so Peter and John, they're not content. I'm going to read this last section, and it's a little longer, but I want us to capture it in this. The scene was set for Peter's explanation because you caught what was happened. Everybody or many came running. Some were just curious. Okay, the ambulances showed up. Let's see what's going on. Or some were in awe and they had to get there. I can't believe what just happened. And so in the midst of that, Peter and John could have said, you know what, our work's done here. Things are good. Jesus has showed up through his spirit, and um, this guy's healed. We'll just let him kind of testify. They weren't content. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they didn't want to leave interpretation up to the crowd. They wanted people to personally know Jesus. Verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? 
Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, catch the names here for Jesus, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are, Peter and John said, witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. See, what he's doing is he's connecting the healing back to the source, and that is Jesus. That's crucial. They weren't taking their own credit. They were giving the credit to God. They were testifying. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. Catch the tone change. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Peter says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him, warning, will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him, catch this, first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. They testified. And they took what Jesus had done and connected it to the healing of the beggar. They also connected it to what God had done in their life. And they said, he wants to do this for you. Are you going to receive it? Every work of the Holy Spirit comes down to that goal. To bring people to Jesus. That's why we're so scared about it, I think. That's why it frightens us. Because sometimes it's going to blow our faith up. In such a way that how you thought you understood God has suddenly become much bigger. Don't stand in the way of it. Because what Peter does is he basically gives the ABCs of salvation. It's the gospel message right there. Admit you have sinned. In other words, receive forgiveness. Believe in Jesus and all he did and who he is. And then finally, confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. Many of you have heard that. It's not complicated, but it's transformational. I think what absolutely overwhelms me about this story is that it reminds me that the work of the Holy Spirit isn't limited by people, places, or practices, or a culture. He is ready and willing. The question is this, are we willing to welcome him into all the areas of our life? Are we willing to exercise faith in him? 
declaring things that may feel a little uncomfortable. And then receive the blessing of witnessing the Holy Spirit in action. I watch so many of you in this church. I'm going to invite the team up. I watch so many of you in this church live this out. And what I want to tell you is testify about it. Not in arrogance. I know that's not your goal. But sometimes I wonder if we're afraid that people won't believe us. That's not your job to determine whether people are going to believe or not. It's your job. It's my job. It's our mission to simply testify. I want us to do this something this morning as we finish up. Joe's going to play a little bit. And, and um, I did this in first service. And this is in no way intended to be manipulative. Okay? Just hear my heart on that. I will tell you, though, a couple weeks ago when I first talked about the Holy Spirit and how He leads us and guides us. I walked away believing that there were some in this room who had not actually acknowledged their faith in who the Holy Spirit was. I don't know that specifically. None of you have talked to me about that. But I actually believe that God wanted a breakthrough that day and it didn't happen for whatever reason. I'm trusting him with that. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want to invite you to think about a specific situation in your life. I shared one of mine with you, this situation about thinking that it is just going to be what it is. And I would invite you, if God so leads you, to take that walk of faith up to this altar this morning and simply just welcome him into that experience, that situation. We're not going to pray at this time for each other, but we're going to simply welcome the Holy Spirit. And that's not just about some big shock and all thing. That's truly just being vessels for the Holy Spirit in our life. And so I want to invite you to do that. Joe's going to play for just a few moments, and then we'll go into our last song. But if that's something that you believe the Lord's leading to you, you to, then I, I want you to come up. But perhaps you want to come up or need to come up, is better said, because you believe in the Holy Spirit. You've welcomed His presence into a particular situation, and quite frankly, you haven't exercised the faith in the Holy Spirit. I know what we want. We want, we want a formula. <laughs> Start with surrender, Okay. So again, I'm not sure what God wants to do here, but what I absolutely believe is that there are times when we are squelching the Holy Spirit collectively as well as individually. And I want us just to acknowledge to God today, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. So whatever that situation, what situation might be, I, I just want to encourage you. And, and uh, I'm actually going to invite you to stand. And as we stand, um, I'm, I'm headed to the altar and... If this is something, a time that you'd like to come on on your own uh, and bring a situation, then I invite you to do that too. So as we stand, Joe's going to play a little bit longer, and then we'll go into the final song. But even at your seat, I would invite you just to welcome the Holy Spirit into a particular situation in your life.